You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes. This week, Senior Minister Adam Hale kicks off our new sermon series, Thank You Notes. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. Well, good morning. I am glad that you're here. Uh, sermon's probably not going to be nearly as entertaining as that, um, but we'll do our best. This week, I'm excited because we're beginning a brand new series called Thank You Notes, and through the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about this idea of thankfulness. Uh, so over the next few weeks, next week, we're going to talk about being thankful uh, even when we don't want to be thankful in the hard times, uh, thankful when it hurts to be, be thankful. Uh, in two weeks, as Mike told you a little earlier, we're going to be celebrating our 139th anniversary of being in this location. And so we're going to take a look back at some past and celebrate our heritage and, and the legacy of the church. And we're going to be thankful for that. But we're also going to be thankful for what God is planning for the future. And so we're going we're to celebrate that. And then in three weeks from today, we're going to be thankful for the people in our lives. Um, All of us have people in our individual lives that we are immensely thankful for, and sometimes we don't always do the best job of showing that and telling them that, and so we're going to talk about that over the next, and so it gives you an idea of what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. About two years ago, I was down at the mall in Bowling Green, and I was walking around the stores um, because that's what men do. We go to the mall with our wives, and we just kind of walk around or we find a bench to sit while they shop and I got tired of sitting so I was just kind of walking around while while Christy was finishing up her shopping and I passed one of the stores it's like a Hallmark store I don't think it was Hallmark but one of those type of stores and uh, their glass entryway was covered you couldn't see into the store and so I got my attention so I wanted to look walk over and see what it was and as I got closer I could tell that it was cards on the different uh, on the glass and so as I'm looking into it, and I got closer, and I could tell what it is, then I noticed it was thank you notes. And that really uh, impressed me, because in every other store in that mall, all of their glass entryways were designed to get people to come into their store and to buy something. But this store had decided to forego that, and they were going to express their thankfulness. And so they had, what I found out later was that the employees of the stores had written thank you notes to their different customers, and they had put those on the, on the display. And that got me to thinking about just the idea of thankfulness because if, if there's one thing that could activate repentance if, in our lives, if there's something that could activate belief in our lives, if there's something that could make that discouragement just a bump better, that it would help us get over the hump just a little bit more, I think it's thankfulness. I think that's the one thing that could activate all of those things in our lives. And so, so if there's one thing that we could just bump up a notch in our life and I think we would all benefit from, it would be Thanksgiving. Unfortunately, the subject of Thanksgiving doesn't really uh, come up very often, and, and normally we relegate the idea of Thanksgiving to a turkey dinner and some mashed potatoes and a real uh, full feeling on about the fourth Thursday of November. And that's really about the, the extent to which we think about Thanksgiving. And that's a shame, because like I said, Thanksgiving, I think, is the one thing that could activate all of those other things in our lives. Thanksgiving, though, is just one of those things that we don't come by very naturally. In fact, we, we, we have to train our, ourselves to be thankful. We train our kids to be thankful to prove that we don't come by it very naturally. Uh, even on Wednesday when we have trunk or treat and we're passing out candy to kids and as the kids come through and we drop a piece of candy in their buckets, what will their parents tell them? Say, well, now what do you say? What do we, all right, so when somebody drops a piece of candy in your bucket, what do you say? 
All right, there we go. See, we have to, we have to train ourselves to do that. And, and we say thank you now for lots of different things, but maybe not because we're really all that thankful, but because we had good parents who trained us and conditioned us that when somebody did something for you, you thanked them. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is just try to talk about this idea of thanksgiving and talk about it so much that we start finding ourselves just being thankful. That's the goal for our time together over the next several weeks is that thankfulness will begin to become an intentional part of our, of our lives. It will just sort of flow out of us. And we'll start talking about it and we'll start being thankful and we'll be thankful for this and we'll be thankful for that and we'll be thankful for conversations that we have with people that we don't really like and we'll be thankful for... for uh, all sorts of things that we're not really all that thankful for right now. Again, because I think this is the one thing that has the ability to transform us and the people around us because I believe it has an insane amount of power to change lives and the lives of people that we come into contact with. As I've been thinking about the, uh, the era that I've grown up in, the uh, this time of history that I've lived in, I think it's a pretty cool time in history. It's probably an unparalleled time uh, to any other time in history. I mean, there's very little that, as a, as a society, as a culture in America, that we could want that's not made available to us. And even even across the board in America, regardless of of where you go, where you live, what socioeconomic class you come from, there is this uh, un unparalleled wealth that we experience this prosperity that we experience in fact if you're a citizen in the United States that makes you in the top two percent of the most wealthy people in all the world so even if you think that you have nothing uh, because you live here in America you are in the in the top two percent you are 98 percent better off than than the rest of the world and yet in the midst of all of that prosperity we seem to be a very unhappy people we seem to be very disappointed in the things that we have we think that we have to have the latest and the greatest and the newest gadget and so we go and get it and when we get it it doesn't fulfill us like we thought it would and so we're disappointed with it and so we think we got to go get something else right and so we go get that and it's just a cycle that we keep going through we do it in our relationships we think that we uh that our husband or our our wife will fulfill us in a way that that no, nothing else can and so we go and we get we we find us a, a mate and we get married and then we have that relationship and guess what we we got married to a person and because they're people they're going to disappoint us and let me also just say this if you're looking for ultimate satisfaction in your spouse well you're looking for it in the wrong place because you were never designed to get ultimate satisfaction from a person other than God and so you're looking for that satisfaction from your spouse and they're never going to measure up to what God is and so you're always, every time you look for that satisfaction in your spouse, you're always going to be disappointed because they're not God. And so we constantly go through this cycle of, well, I'm disappointed in them. They, and, and we do this in all of our relationships. And so as a result, we find ourselves as a group of people that just aren't overly thankful people. When I was in high school, I had a teacher who referred to his students as a bunch of ingrates. And now coming from that particular teacher that might have been a term of endearment but that's what he called us he called us a bunch of ingrates but he didn't just call us that he called us he called his kids that too uh, he referred to his children his small children as a bunch of ingrates I guess maybe he just thought they were sucking the resources out of him and you know the little little ingrates they had to be fed and so he had to go get them some food and the little ingrates they had to be tucked into bed at night and so he had to buy them a bed and and all of those kind of things and that's just how he referred to them 
And one of the things that I realized in thinking about that is that words always get stuck in our heads. And, and the really unfortunate part of that is that when we look at our lives and we look, if we're really honest with ourselves, maybe we are really a bunch of ingrates. So this morning, I want to talk to us from the angle of the ingrates. We're going to go through a little bit of, um, I'm going to go a little bit negative today, and, and my goal is not to be negative through this whole series, other than just to say that our natural bent is not toward Thanksgiving, and so that's, that's kind of the negative angle of it. But I want us to look, uh, go on a little bit of a tour of, of the Old Testament so that we can see what God thinks about this, because we need to determine, we need to find out, we need to know if God considers ungratefulness, if he considers complaining a big deal. Does he just look at it and he say, oh, well, that's just Adam, and that's just how Adam is, and it's not a big deal? Or does he look at it and he go, no, this is a big deal, and we got to knock it off? If that's the, because if that's the case, well, then we've got some work to do. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look in the Old Testament. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to end up in Numbers chapter 14. I promise we're not going to read the whole thing all the way through. Um, that was supposed to be a little funny. You could have laughed a little bit at that. Uh, thanks, Al. But we're going to start in Exodus chapter 3, and we're going we're gonna to look at the children of Israel. Um, you may remember them. They were God's people. They were in captivity in Egypt for 430 years. That's a long time to be in captivity. They were abused and they were under hard labor. And the book of Exodus talks about what happened to them. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, it says this, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And by the way, I read all the names of those groups of people because that, we're going to come back to that a little later on. But, but here's what I, one of the first things that jumps out at me when I, when, I, when I read this, I see this, is you notice what God says? He says, I have seen your afflictions. I have heard your cries. I, ha I have seen all of this bad, thing, bad stuff that's been happening to you for 430 years. Now, that's a long time, 430 years. And God says, I have seen this. And because I have seen this and because I've heard this, because I love you, I'm going to do something about it. And so I'm going to give you this land that's flowing full of milk and honey. But there are people in there that you're going to have to deal with. And so you just need to know up front, there are people in this land that you're going to have to deal with, but because I love you, because I've heard your, your cry, I've seen your affliction, I'm going to help you. I'm going to do something about that. And so here's what I want to say to you on that this morning, is that some of you are going through a really tough time. You have been in a rough stretch, and maybe it's been a long period of time. And maybe you're at the point where you say, does God, God, do you even hear me anymore? Do you even care about what I'm going through? And I just want this, to, this text to, to, to show you that, yeah, God does still care about you. And he may not do anything about it today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, maybe not next year. It may even be 10, 20 years, maybe longer than that from now. But there will come a point in time, if you remain faithful, where God will say, okay, I have seen what you've gone through. I have heard your cries. And now I'm going to do something about it. And so what we see here is that God does do something about it. He takes his people through a series of events and allows them to leave Egypt. And they actually leave with the blessing of the Pharaoh. And even on their way out, God has intervened in such a way where the people are giving them, they're financing their trip to, to the promised land. And so they're giving them gold and jewelry and all sorts of 
things. In fact, they're, they're giving them stuff and just basically saying, hey, you can't get out of here quick enough. Take, take this and go. And so they leave on their trip. And if you, if you were to follow their, their journey across the desert, millions of these people, mind you, you would see one constant thing, that God continually provided for them. God is constantly doing something for them. And so they go through, and there's, there's a series of events that take place, and we're not going to go through all of those, but we get to the end of the journey. We get to, to the, they're right at the, at the cusp of the promised land. And they find themselves at a place where all the, all the things that they've been hoping for, all the things that they've been wanting, all the things that they've been dreaming ab- about are about to happen. They're about to come true. And that's a great place to be, isn't it? Can you imagine some of you, some of you thinking, you know, if I just knew that everything was going to work out on the other side of this, that would make it worthwhile, wouldn't it? If I just knew that, that what was going to be on the other side of this uh, turmoil, what was going to be on the other side of this conflict, what was going to be on the other side of this trip, if I just knew that everything was going to be okay, that would be a, a really good place to be. That the sun's going to come out and the skies are going to turn blue and, and everything that I've been wanting to happen is finally going to happen. And so we get to that point in the story for the Israelites. And we'll jump over to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 1. This is what uh, God says to Moses. He says, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Capture what's been said here, because remember, he's already promised the the people this. He's already promised them that you're going to have this land. And now he says, go and and spy it out. Go check it out. And we go, what's the purpose of that? If you've already promised them, what's the purpose of, of sending them to to spy the land and God says understand this I am giving this to you this is my promise it was my promise back in Exodus 3 it's my promise still now that this land is yours but you need to go and look and see what you're what you're getting ready to encounter and then glance down to verse 17 it says Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and he said to them go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. And so he sends out these spies, and they're going to get a little information. They go on about a 40-day recognizance trip, and, and they're going to check to see what's going on. But remember, they're right there at the cusp of the promised land. They're right at the finish line. Everything that they've been wanting to happen is about to happen. All they got to do is go and see what, what they're getting ready to go into. And this is what it says at the end of verse 25. It says, At the end of 40 days they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all of the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us and it flows with milk and honey and it has fruit. It's good news, right? However, here comes the bad news. The people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, I don't know who much about Anak. I haven't done a lot of study on him. But evidently, Anak was one bad individual because his descendants are there and they know that they are, they are his descendants and they, are, they scare these spies. The descendants of Anak have scared these spies. And so, so what we see here is that even though God has promised them, everything that you want is right here. You just got to go in and get it. Everything that you want is right there. Just go get it. And they go and they look at it and say, whoa, 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 whoa. 
there's, there's some scary people in there. We maybe need to take a step back and, and reevaluate this. We need to take a step back and, and think of a better plan because, because I'm not sure that we can, we can do this. And then Caleb, verse 30, it says, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and, Moses and said, Let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. So Caleb, Caleb understood that God had promised them this. And that, yeah, there might be some scary things ahead of them, but Caleb understood what God has promised must be true, so let's go and get it. Let's take what God has given to us. But then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. You know, there's always those people who are saying, wait, 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 we need to slow down. Let's think about this for a minute. And you know who those people are. You have those people in your life. When, you, when you're gung-ho on an idea and you're ready to, to rock and roll on something and you've got people in your life that say, well, whoa, 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 just slow down. You need to just stop and take a minute and rethink this. You need to dial it back a little bit because you're getting ready to, you're getting ready to take, undertake something that you can't handle. And maybe, maybe if you don't have those people in your life, maybe you're that person that says, hey, we need to, we need to, to slow down a bit. Maybe, maybe you're that person. And how sad that was for the Israelites. Because they're right there at the finish line. They're, they're, they're literally moments away from getting all that God had promised them, from finishing their journey. And what we see in chapter 14, verse 1, it says, All the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. These ten spies who have seen, who have said that we can't do this, they have brought this news back to the group, and they said, we can't do it, and the people were heartbroken. Last night, we uh, had a 5K here in Glendale, and... Uh, Leon Chambers put all of us to shame. Leon ran it in about 24 minutes, was the oldest person to run in the 5K, and he finished well ahead of me, I'll put it that way. Um, but I, I decided I was going to run it, but I'll tell you, I was not looking forward to running this 5K because I don't like to run anymore, and I just haven't done it much lately. And I'm, I, I want to say that I'm out of shape, but I'm not out of shape because round is a shape, and so for the shape I'm in, I'm in good shape. And so I knew last night that I was going to have to, to pace myself. My, the way that I usually run is I'll run really hard for the first mile, and then I'm going to die all the way back and, and barely make it across. So I thought, I don't want to do that. I want to I run a little slower intentionally the first couple of miles, and that way when I get to that last mile, I'll be able to finish really strong. Well, I did that for the first two miles. I ran a little slower and, and, and actually ran just about the exact pace that I wanted to run. The only problem was, is again, I'm not in very good shape right now, and I haven't been running and training very hard. And so that last mile, I just didn't have anything to, to run uh, left. I just didn't have the gas left to run. And so we got to the, I got right to the end. We started and finished down at the park at the little pavilion. And there's a, you come down a hill, which is always a good thing when you're running. But when you go down a hill, that usually means that you have to come back up a hill. And there was this little hill at the very end of the race. And I got to that hill, and I was tired, and my legs hurt, and I was out of breath, and thought that I might actually throw up on the side of the road, and, and it, I just really, all I really wanted to do was walk up that hill. But there's a lot of people, you know, it's right there at the finish line, and so if you're going to walk, that's not the place to do it. And so I just tried to, you know, put one foot in front of the other and just kind of look like I was jogging. I don't, 
I don't know how well I succeeded, but, but I jogged up to the hill and I got to the finish line. And my first thought when I got to the finish line was, thank God that's over. I'm done. <laughs> the Israelites were literally right at the finish line. They just had to go up one little hill. They just had to push themselves up one little hill and they, and they, were, they were there. And yet they were heartbroken at the news and they wept. They raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And here's what they said. They said, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now can you imagine what it took to lead those millions of people across the desert? All that Moses and Aaron had invested in them. They had, they had taken care of them for, for a long, long time. And ha- had been God's mediator for these people for a long, long time. And yet, it seems like when you read the story, every time something doesn't go their way, they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron. And then they said, the whole congregation said to, said to them, said to Moses and Aaron, if only we had died in Egypt. They're right at the finish line, and they're ready to turn back and go all the way back to Egypt because, because of this one little bump in the road that God had already told them there is going to be there. You're going to see these people when you get to the land. And they're ready to go back. I tell you, Moses was a better leader than I am because if that had been me, and I had been leading these people across the desert for all these years, and, and they had grumbled and complained against me all of this time, and we get to, this, we get to the end, and they're still grumbling, and they want to go back to Egypt. You know what I would have told them? I said, well, it's that way. You go right ahead and go, but I'm going that way. But then they get to the complaint. Verse 3, chapter 14, verse 3, they complain, and here's what it says. It says, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? They have this assumption that God is not a good God, that it's his fault, that, that he, he wants bad for them. That's their view of God. And verse 4 says, and they said to one another, let's choose another leader and go back to Egypt. Again, if I'd been, if I'd been Moses, I'd said, okay, you go right ahead because I'm not, I'm not going back. And then God, as he always does, responds. God had heard their grumbling, their, their, their cries, their, their hurt when they had been in Egypt for 430 years, and God had heard their grumbling and complaining in this moment. And so in verse 11, this is what God says to that. He says, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me, and how long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? God says, How long... What else do I have to do to prove to these people that I love them, that I care about them? How long must I, must I keep proving myself? You know, when, when you were in Egypt, I brought you out of Egypt. When you were in the desert and you were wandering around and you were hungry, I gave you manna. When you got tired of manna, I gave you quail. When you needed water, I got water from a rock. What else do I have to do for you people for you to think that I have your best interest, that I love you? And yet their continued view of God was, he's against us. He's not a good God. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe they did believe. Maybe, maybe they just had their doubts because we, all, we would all like to think that we, uh, we believe and, and even in the best of circumstances, sometimes we have those momentary lapses and we have doubts. But I don't think that was this, the case for the Israelites here. I think this was unbelief because here's the thing about belief. Belief is always associated with moving forward, with taking action. If you believe in a cause, you will do something for that cause. If you believe in, in, uh, in a church, you will be a part of that church. If you believe in God, you will do something for God. You will act on God's goodness. Belief is always tied to action. Belief is always tied to moving forward. 
But that's not what the, we don't see that from the people who are here. They don't want to move forward. They want to go back. And that's the thing with unbelief. Unbelief is always about moving backwards. And so God says, how long will they despise me? How long will they believe in me? And God's not happy about it. And so this is what he says in verse 12. He says to Aaron, Moses and Aaron, he says, I'll strike them with pestilence and I'll disinherit them. In other words, they'll be my children no longer. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they are. That's how God responds to them, to the people for not seeing God for who he was and for, and for complaining against him. And over the next few verses, Moses is going to go before God and he's going to beg for mercy for the Israelites. He's going to plead on their behalf and ask God to forgive them. And again, what, a, what an admirable leader Moses must have been to, to do that for these people because, again, this was not the first time they had complained against Moses. Moses is going to say, God, you're, you're a long-suffering God. You're a patient God. You're a merciful God. Will you please forgive them? In other words, can, you, can we just pretend like this didn't happen and move forward? And then notice what it says in verse 20. It says, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. In other words, Moses, because you've asked, I have forgiven them. Not because I want to, but because you have asked me to. But truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have yet put me to test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, none of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of them who despise me shall see it. God says, I'll forgive, but there are consequences. There are going to be severe consequences. You made it all the way to the finish line, but because you have doubted, you have, you've had this unbelief, you will not cross the finish line. But then in verse 24, it says, but my servant Caleb, remember Caleb, he's the one that said, hey, we got this, let's go, let's take it. He says, my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which we went, into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now that right there should cause us to take a step back and go, hey, wait, wait a minute. Do I want to be a complainer or do I want to be a Caleb? Do I want to be the person that says, hey, wait a minute, we need to rethink this, we need to slow down, we need, we need to come up with a better plan because, because God's plan isn't good enough and this looks big and it looks scary and I just don't think we can do it? Or do I want to be a Caleb who says, hey, God has said this is going to happen, so we're going to make it happen because we're going to, we're going to trust God, we're going to believe God, and we're going to go on in and we're going to take what God has promised us. Do I want to be a complainer or do I want to be a Caleb? And then look what God says at verse 26. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses, Moses and Aaron and says, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? God calls this thing the opposite of thankfulness. God calls the grumbling of the people of Israel, he calls it wickedness. He says, how long will this wickedness last? And that gets me to thinking, what is it that we grumble about? And what is it that we complain about? What is it that we don't fully trust God on? What is it that causes us to, to back up and say, hey, hey, I don't know if, if this is the right thing. I don't know if I fully trust God in this. What is the thing that causes me to want to back up and say, you know, hey, things were better over here. Maybe I should just go back to that. What is the thing that causes me to grumble against God? And then maybe the bigger question is, how is my grumbling and my complaining, how is our grumbling and our complaining any different than the Israelites grumbling and complaining? And how is it any less wicked in the sight of God? 
And the truth of the matter is, it's not. We can go back and we can replace the names of those tribes of people that God had told the Israelites that they were going to encounter. Remember the, the Jebusites and the Hittites and, the, and, and that list? We can go back and we can replace their names with, with all the sorts of things that scare us and that make us uncomfortable because that's what caused these people to stop and to think about going back. They get to the promised land and they've encountered what God had already told them they were going to encounter. And they get uncomfortable and they get scared. Even though God had said, I, I told you they were going to be there. And I heard you. I heard all your cries. I've been hearing all your cries. And I love you. And because I love you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this land. And yes, there are some things that as you move forward that are going to scare you to death. But you've got to trust me. You've got to trust that I have your best interest in mind. Because I love you. And I'm a good God. Let me ask you a question this morning. And we'll, we'll answer by a show of hands. How many of you believe that God is a good God who is true to his word? Now, if you don't believe that, don't raise your hand. It's okay. If, if, if you don't believe that, don't raise your hand. And if somebody sitting next to you is giving you the stink eye about it, well, that's their problem. But if we believe that, we believe that God is a good God who is true to his word. Now, let me ask another question. How many of you believe that God is with us individually, but also corporately as a church? So if we believe that, would we not be wise to learn from the mistakes of the Israelites and stop our grumbling and our complaining? Think about the things that we grumble and complain about. We complain when the, when the waitress doesn't get our order right, right? And we complain when the grocery bag boy puts the, puts the bread underneath the milk. We complain when gas jumps 36 cents overnight. Those are small things that we complain and we grumble about. But think about other things like um, when, when our kids put crayons in their pockets and, and those crayons end up in the washer and the dryer. We, we complain about that, right? Or we complain, <clears throat> you complain when your husband doesn't take his, his dirty dish and put it, he puts it in the sink instead of the dishwasher, right? Or we complain about our wives when they drive their car all around town to the, to the gas needle gets past the E, right? We complain about that. And all those things, they're small things, but in all of those things that we grumble and we complain about, those are, there are things in that to be thankful for. Like being thankful that there's food in our pantry for us to eat or a vehicle to put gas in. We can be thankful for all the, the pictures that our kids have made for us with those crayons. But our grumbling goes on in the church too. We complain because something didn't get announced or we complain because preaching styles are different or we complain that church lasts too long or that it doesn't last long enough or, or church isn't what it used to be. It's not what we remember as a kid, what we, we think that, you know, uh, first service ought to be the primary service or second service ought to be the primary service. And so we complain, about, we complain about all of those things and what we experience on Sunday morning just isn't what we think church ought to be. My point in all of this is that God calls grumbling and complaining of the Israelites wickedness. And they had a major consequence for it. They didn't get to enjoy the promises of God because of their grumbling and their complaining. And so what blessings are we missing out on because of our ungratefulness? Because of our complaining? What are we missing out on that God has in store for us because we have complained and we've complained and we've showed God that we're not very grateful? I have a mentor who lives in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. He, he's the preacher at Nineveh Christian Church. His name is Terry Cooper. And uh, he's preaching at a church that 13 to 15 years ago was on the brink of closing its doors. They had built a new building, 
and it was a nice building, and then they had a church split. Like almost the day after the building was done, they had a church split, and two-thirds of their people left, and they didn't have any money to pay for their new building. And they had about 30 people showing up on a consistent basis. 30 was a really good crowd for them on a Sunday morning. And Terry began preaching there. And about two years ago, they just paid off a, off, a, off a debt note for their most recent building expansion, which was necessary because now they run over 700 people. And I asked Terry what, what the single greatest turning point in the church was uh, for them, how they went from 30 people to 700. And they're not in a real big town. If you know Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, you know it's not a, a, a gigantic town per capita. Uh, their church is on par with Southeast Christian. In Louisville, it runs about 30,000 a weekend. I asked him what the single greatest turning point for that church was, and this is what he told me. He said, we stopped complaining about how bad things were, and we started thanking God for all that he had given us, and that attitude became contagious. That's how they grew their church. It wasn't through great preaching. It wasn't, although Terry's a great preacher, it wasn't through great programs. It wasn't through, through a, a, a great youth ministry. It was through an attitude of thankfulness. He said, we stopped complaining. And we just started being thankful. And in the course of 15 years, they have gone from 30 people to over 700 I am convinced of this, this one thing. If, if I'm not convinced of anything else, I'm convinced of this, that if we will adopt an attitude of thankfulness instead of ungratefulness, we will, not, we will see not only that we have been missing out on some of God's most incredible blessings, but that God has even greater things in store for us. If we want our church to grow, and I, and I believe all of us here want our church to grow, it will not be because of great preaching or great programs or great youth ministry or any of those things. It will not be because of a great first service or a great second service, but it will be because we have an attitude of thankfulness that is contagious to those around us. Because let's be honest, we have daily conversations with people where they go walk away and they go, well, they seem kind of like a negative person. Because all they've heard in our conversation was, was complaining. And then they find out we go to church. And they said, well, that's the last. Why would I want to be a part of that? It hasn't seemed to make much difference in their lives. Why would I want to be a part of that? Because we, we don't show that hope and that joy that we have. We have a greater hope and a joy. And we have so much to be thankful for. And yet we put that on display so very little. And because of that, I think we miss out on God's greatest blessings. This morning when you came in, if you got a bulletin, there was a post-it note on it. And so here's what I want you to do with that post-it note. Some of you have asked what, what you were supposed to do with it. Here's what I want you to do with it. I want you to find a pen or a pencil right, right near you. And when we start talking about complaining, you may have had a complaint that maybe, maybe it's your go-to complaint and you, you immediately knew what it was that you complained about. I want you to write that down on this post-it note. This is not for anybody else to see. This is not for somebody to come and look at it and, and judge you and tell you you're such a horrible person because you complain about this. This is not what that's for. So, so you go ahead and write this down because this is between you and God. And in a moment, we're going to have a, um, a time where, where Ray and, and Brenda and Betty are going to come and they're going to lead us in our invitation song. And during that time, after you've written down what you want, there are some trash cans in the back of the auditorium. And I'd just like for you to take your post-it note and stick it on the inside of that trash can. 
because we're going to trash our complaints. When you're done with something, you throw it in the trash can and you throw it out, right? You don't bring it back. You don't go back and dig through the dumpster for it. You, you get rid of it, right? And if we're going to have an attitude of gratefulness, we need to get rid of our complaining. And so this is kind of, it's, it's, it's symbolic, but it's also significant that we are trashing our complaints today. And so, so go ahead and take a moment, just write down what it is. Because I think this, is the, this could be the key that unlocks a whole new attitude for us as individuals, but also as a church. When I was working on this message, I thought, okay, well, there's some, there's some things in my life that I complain about. And so I'm, tell you, I'm holding it this way so you can't read what I've, what I've written down. But there's something written down on the other side of this that I complain about. And I'll be real honest with you, it, it's probably a struggle to... It'll be a struggle for me to quit complaining about it, but I'm going to quit complaining about it because I need to be thankful for it. And, and here's, here's, as you're writing this down, I'm telling you, in every one of our complaints, there's something to be thankful for. And so I know there is in mine. And so I'm going to be thankful for this instead of complaining about it. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to stand, and we're going to sing. And during that time, if you want to trash your complaint, you go right ahead. If you want to do it on your way out, you can do that too, but let's stand and I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we love you. But Father, we also confess that sometimes we, um, we're not very grateful. In fact, honestly, God, that's probably a, a gross understatement. We're not grateful at all most of the time. And so Father, I pray that you would forgive us. Just as you have forgiven the Israelites and whatever consequences there are for our ungratefulness, Father, I pray that you'd give us the, the courage and the perseverance to deal with them. But Father, may we begin to see the blessings that you have for us because of a new attitude, an attitude of thankfulness. Father, help us to stop complaining. Help us to, that hope and that joy that you've given us because of, of Jesus, help us to put that on display. Father, help us to be thankful people because you have given us Jesus. What more could we need? We have, you have given us Jesus. So let us be thankful people. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.